Well, as I said last week, the key to overcoming in a hostile work environment is having the right attitude and having the right perspective. If you have the right attitude towards your job, then you can rise above your work environment and you can overcome it in almost any type of situation. If you don't have the right attitude, you're going to sink to the level of those around you. And the truth of the matter is you're going to become part of the problem. And having the right perspective towards your job is just as important as having the right attitude. And let me explain why I say that. When you have the right perspective towards your job, you're working with God. You're allowing him to do what he wants in your life. But when you have the wrong perspective towards your job, then what you're doing is working against God and against what God wants to do in your life. So it all boils down to allowing God to do a work in your life by having this right perspective. So the two most important qualities that a person can have when it comes to working is attitude and perspective. If you don't have the right attitude and you don't have the right perspective, everything else that I'm going to be teaching in this series really doesn't matter. You've got to have the right attitude and the right perspective. And let me just speak to the employers for a second. If you're responsible for hiring in your company or your business, you need to make sure that the people you hire have the right attitude and have the right perspective. So many times we get caught up in how talented is that person. Boy, this person is so talented. But I can promise you, no matter how talented a person is, if they don't have the right attitude or they don't have the right perspective towards work, you're going to rue the day that you ever hired them. Because attitude and perspective are the two most important qualities that an employee can have. That's true. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk about change. Believe it or not, one of the greatest sources of turmoil in the workplace is change. I want you to think about it. Just when you get used to the manager in your department and the way that he operates, he's promoted. And now you have to get used to a new manager, and he operates in a totally different way. Do we like that type of change? No. Think about this. Just when you complete a big project and you're looking forward to some downtime, your boss comes to you and says, says, we have a new and bigger project to replace that. Just when you figure out the office politics, the company is sold to another corporation. Just when you learn how to do things a certain way, the company decides they're going to change their policy and they're going to change the way that they do things around here. Just when you learn the ins and outs of the software that your company uses, they upgrade to a new software program, or maybe they go to a totally different software program, and now you have to learn something that is completely different. So let's be honest. The majority of us don't like change. In fact, it's human nature to resist change. It's human nature to like stability, security, and predictability. We want to learn how to do something, and we want, then we want to stick to that particular method of doing it. We want to know that we have a job until the day we retire. We want to know what we're going to be doing every day, and then allow the freedom to do it. Now, we realize that there's a trade-off to having those three things. Stability means that we're going to be doing the same thing over and over again, day after day. And people, that's boring. Job security means that we're going to be working in the same place for the next 30 years. And that's kind of depressing if you think about it. Predictability means that we know what we're going to be doing every day for the next 30 years and counting. And that's so monotonous. And that's why when you have something like a safety meeting, something that's really boring, you look forward to it because at least it's different. But hey, 
Most of us think that the trade-off's worth it. That's why most people strive to get a job that's stable, offers security, and the work is predictable. The truth is, we don't like major changes. We want stability, job security, and predictability. The only problem is there's not too many jobs that offer those three things anymore. I can remember when I went to work for Southwestern Bell. That's been almost 29 years ago. But something happened that has always stuck in my mind because it made such an impression on me. I was 20 years old, and the person who hired me shook my hand and said, congratulations, you have a job for life. That stuck with me. Well, I went to work the very next morning. I met my new boss. He shook my hand. He congratulated me, and he said the very same thing. Congratulations, you have a job for life. Now, five years later, God told me to quit my job, sell our businesses, and go into the ministry. And I thought that I was leaving a company that offered job security. But what I didn't know was that two years after I quit, everyone with less than 10 years' experience was laid off. Everyone with 10 years or less. And people, that would have been me had I stayed. But what happened? What happened between the time they hired me and told me that I had a job for life and seven years later when they fired everyone that had 10 years or less of experience? Well, I'll tell you what happened. The world changed. That's what happened. The government came in and said, Ma Bell is a monopoly. We're going to have to split you up. And so they broke up Ma Bell and AT&T was created. And AT&T took over the long distance part of the company. In fact, we kept long distance within the certain area codes. But if you called long distance from one area code into another area code, that was AT&T's. And that changed the services that Southwestern Bell offered. And it changed the way that Southwestern Bell operated so they didn't need as many employees. So they just came and said right across the board, we're going to fire everyone, lay them off that had 10 years or less experience. And it hasn't changed because since then, technology has really changed. People use cell phones instead of landlines. Let's be honest. The majority of us, not only do we have a cell phone, but our children have cell phones. Everyone in the family has a cell phone. And you look at your wife every time you get that bill and you think, do we really need this landline? And many of you have given it up. Some of you only keep your landline because that's the only way that you can get your number in the uh, telephone book. But the majority of us, we give up the landline. And as a result of that, just about six months ago, AT&T laid off 18,000 people. And the reason they cited is because people don't use landlines anymore. What happened? Technology changed. So more employees were laid off. And today, companies never promise their employees that they have a job for life. Because companies realize that this world is constantly changing and they're going to have to change with it. So they can't offer that long-term stability, that job security, that predictability to their employees that everyone seems to want. Because that's just the world we live in. The world's changing people and the companies that we work for have to change with it. The number of employees a company needs will change. Sometimes they might need more employees Sometimes they might need less employees. Sometimes a company just goes out of business and everyone doesn't have a job. The way a company does things is going to change. Because as technology changes, companies must change or be left behind. They're going to cease to be profitable if they continue to do the things the way they've always done them. You know, I don't like trying to call a company and I know that I've got switched to India. And the person that I'm talking to is, is speaking in such broken English, I can't understand them. And I think, why has this company done that? I'll tell you why. 
because it's the bottom line. They realize that if they're not profitable, then they're not going to be in business. And it's cheaper basically to pay for those toll lines all the way over to another country, country and pay them a less wage and to have a building that doesn't meet all these different codes and to, and to be able to write all of that off than it is to hire people in America. And our, and our world is changing to the point that companies realize they have to change with it. Does that mean none of us are going to have a job? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you that your job description will probably change. What you do today, the way you do things today, is probably going to change within the next five years. The truth is we live in a very unstable, unpredictable world that cannot offer job security like it once did. Not anymore, people. In fact, the only thing that you can depend on today is that change is inevitable. So with job descriptions constantly changing and coworkers coming and going and the pressure of no job security... No wonder that most work environments are hostile. Everyone's stressed from having to constantly change the way they do things. They're worried about layoffs and should, or will I have to move in order to keep my job. They're tense from not knowing what tomorrow holds. They're scared that technology will change the way their job is done. And I'm too old to be retrained. Some of you are in your upper 50s and you're thinking, if I can just hold on till I can draw Social Security. But you realize that things are changing. That computer software program that you thought you would never learn, it's now outdated. They're going to do things entirely different. And you're thinking, I can't take this change. So what happens? Change becomes the enemy. People hate it. People end up fighting change. They murmur against change. They resist change. They even try to get others to resist change. So you see them building alliances within the office. And I've even seen some employees purposely try to sabotage the change that's being made. So when I say that people are fighting change, I'm not exaggerating. People fight change. But here's what most people don't realize. Fighting change causes hostility in the workplace. And I see it every day. Management becomes the enemy. Sometimes it gets so bad that management employees refuse to even work together for the common good. I've literally seen unions bankrupt their own company because they're going to make sure that they stick it to them to the point that they're sticking it to them that they no longer have a job. I've seen those things take place. I've seen employees do such a bad job for their boss that the boss finally says, this is not worth it. And they get out of the business. The people lose their jobs simply because they were fighting change. And people, it's not just management versus employees. This type of stress turns coworkers against others. And then you've got all these office politics that are going on. People, it's a mess. So if it's human nature to resist change, but change is inevitable, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, the first thing we need to do is recognize why we resist change. Why are we so scared of change? Well, I'll tell you why we're so scared of change. We're scared of change because we're scared of the unknown. You see, when a change comes, we don't know what to expect. We don't know how it's going to affect us. We don't know if we're going to like it or not like it. We don't know if it'll be good or bad. Will we lose our job? Will we have to move? What's going to happen? So basically, the main reason that we resist change is because we are afraid of the unknown. But that also means that we're not trusting God. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, verse number 9. 
Notice what God says. Remember the things that I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Now, I want to read verse number 10 again, the first part of it. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. People, God knows the future. God knows when change is about to occur in your workplace. God knows when change is about to occur in your household. In fact, God has what theologians refer to as middle knowledge. Now, let me explain what middle knowledge means. Middle knowledge means that God not only knows what will happen in the future, but God also knows what could happen in every possible situation. God knows if you're going to be sick tomorrow. But he also knows what your attitude about that's going to be. God knows when change is coming to your workplace. But he also knows how the bosses are going to react to it. He also knows how you're going to react to it. He knows if you would react this way differently, how it would turn out. Because God not only knows what will happen, but he knows what could happen in every possible situation. And as Christians, we are supposed to trust that God is going to use that change or that situation for our good. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, the truth is, making a major change requires faith. It requires that we trust God. That he knew that this was going to happen. He already saw it in the future. He knew how we could act or react to it. And he's got it under control if we will act like we're called to, according to his purpose. If we'll trust him and have faith in him. And instead of resisting him, work with him. You know, when God told Abraham to move, Abraham didn't know how that was going to affect him. But he trusted God. Turn to the book of Genesis chapter 12 verse number 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, people, we're talking about a major change here. God is not telling him to move to another city in the country. God is telling Abraham to move to a different country where they speak a different language, where they also have a different culture. Everything is completely different. Abraham, I just want you to pick up uproot your family, and I want to move you to another country. Now, I want you to think about this. The majority of us were born and raised in Cherokee County. We never even thought about leaving Tahlequah. We grew up here. We, we graduated from Tahlequah High School. We went to Northeastern State University, which was the 13th grade. We graduated from Northeastern State University, and we went to work here. And we also planned for our children to do that. People, this world is changing. That might not be possible. So I want you to imagine where God speaks to you because you no longer have a job or maybe your children can't find a job here. And he tells them, I want you to move to another city. Well, we don't like that. It, it might be Tulsa. It might be uh, Fedville, but that's still only an hour away. Maybe it's Oklahoma City. That's only three and a half hours away. Or Dallas, four. But what if God says, I want you to move to San Diego. I want you to move to Seattle. I want you to move to Boston. I want you to move to Atlanta. All of a sudden, that's tough. Our families are separated. But we also realize that in today's time, they can catch a plane, they can come home. But what if 
God didn't say, let's move to another city in our country. What if God said, I want you to move to Germany. I want you to move to Brazil. I want you to move to some foreign country. People, that's what God was asking Abraham to do. To pick up everything he had, uproot his family, and move to a foreign country. That's change. But you know, Abraham trusted God. And you have to trust God. When God told me to quit Southwestern Bell, in fact, I, I felt the call to preach two years before that, and I started preaching in little country churches, and I thought, well, this is good. I can still fulfill the call that God has on my life, but I can still offer my family stability. There's predictability here. I have job security. I can work at Southwestern Bell. I can prepare sermons, and I can just preach in these other little churches. And at that time, we also loaned Meg's Jewelry Store, had a couple of other businesses. Things were going very well. And God spoke to Lisa and I and said, no, you need to sell your businesses. You need to quit Southwestern Bell, and you need to go into the ministry full time. Well, two years after that, I'm in a service. And a lady calls me out of the service and asks me to come down to the front. I didn't know the lady. The lady didn't know me. And she began to prophesy over me. And she said, I have not called you to put telephones in people's homes. I have called you to preach the gospel. Come down off that telephone pole and come into the work of the ministry. Now that was confirmation of what God had already told me to do. And so I had to trust that God knew what was going to happen to my family. I had to trust that when I sold the businesses and when I quit Southwestern Bell that God was going to take care of me, but not only me, my wife and my new child, Micah Joy Nolan. And people, I'm going to tell you, that was a very scary time in my life. I was giving up stability. I was giving up job security. I was giving up predictability. But I had to trust that God was in control and that everything was going to be all right. Now, I'm going to tell you, I paid more in taxes the previous year than I made in the very first year of the ministry. And that happened for many, many years after that. But you know, when I quit and I went into the ministry, I had no idea that two years later, Southwestern Bell was going to lay off everyone with less than 10 years of experience. But God knew that, and God had a plan for me. Now, here's the thing about middle knowledge. God knew what changes were coming, and God had a perfect plan for my life. But God also knew what would happen if I resisted that plan. Because God not only knows what will happen, but he also knows what can happen in every possible situation. We never catch God off guard. And that's why we as Christians have to understand that he expects us to trust him, to put our faith in him. So the very first thing that you have to do is you have to understand why we resist change. The reason we resist change is because we're scared of the unknown. We can't see into the future, but we have a Father who can. The second thing we need to do is embrace change as a part of life. Let me say this again. Change is inevitable, and it's a part of the world that we live in. I know some of you hate change, and I'm not even talking about changing your job. You hate changing the way your hair looks. You, you, you hate the different styles that come out because you don't want to change the way you dress. 
Some of you have had your furniture in your home the same way since the day you moved into it. You hate change. If I came into your house and I moved your chair over six inches, you would walk into your living room, you would take a look at that, and you would go, that chair's out of place. And you would move it back six inches. That's how much you hate change. But you need to understand something. Change is inevitable. It's the world we live in, and God created it to be that way. Now, the world has always been changing. It's just that as we live in these end times, as we look forward to Jesus Christ returning, you're going to see change escalate so much quicker and so much faster. You're going to see things take place that you never thought would happen in your lifetime. I'm going to be honest with you. The first time that I ever saw a personal home computer, I made my wife come over and I told my wife, I said, that's the future. Every home in America will own a computer. My wife looked at me and she said, oh, you think so? And then later she told me, Alan, I thought you were nuts. I can remember buying our very first computer. Didn't even have a hard drive. Home computers didn't have hard drives back in those days. We used something called five and a quarter floppies. Do you remember those? So you took your, your uh, if you had a good computer, it actually had two floppy drives. So you would take your program and you would load it in and, and, and it would load up your program. And then you would work inside your program and if you wanted to save anything on disk, then you would take that floppy out, you would put your floppy in. Now this is the day before Windows, people. This is when you had to type in any command. And I can remember buying our very first computer and I went upstairs and I was, I was determined I was going to learn how to do a merge letter. Because you don't understand how hard it was at the end of the year to send out those, those tax receipts that, you've, that you have contributed so much money and you wanted to have it. You had to do those by hand in the old days. But now I had a personal computer. If I could just learn how to merge these addresses with this information. And I was up there for three days. And I called Lisa, come up, come up. And she watched it. And she said, I'll just stick with the typewriter. <laughs> and so today I always remind her that she wants to stick with the typewriter. Does anyone even have a typewriter anymore? You know, I told my girls one day, I said, you know, yeah, I took typing my junior year. Typing? What's typing? Oh, you mean data processing, keyboarding? Yeah, whatever you girls want to call it. But you need to understand something. God created this world to change. And we're living in the end times where it's changing so much faster. But it's always been a world that changes. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Some people have a hard time with that. I was born on June the 11th, 1960. I'm 49 years old. I truly believe because of the prophecies that are written and the, seeing the fulfillment of it, that Jesus Christ is going to return in my lifetime. If I was to take a guess, I would say it would be between the years 2023 and 2026 because of numerology. But if I'm wrong and, and I've got everything, uh, all the dates wrong on that, it's no big deal. I'm going to die. I'm going to be gone. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to uproot. You know, there's a time to plant a family. You put your roots down in the ground. You stay here in Cherokee County. I love it. You know, my mom and dad, it's kind of funny. 
But they're up on the hill to look down upon all their children. But, you know, we're all right there. My mom and dad, they planted their roots in Tahlequah. Their children have grown up here in Tahlequah. We're all home. I don't think that will happen for me. I planted my roots here, but my children are going to be uprooted and they're going to go somewhere else. It's just what happens in life. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time in life when we go to funerals and we mourn and we weep. But at the same time, maybe a month later, we're at a wedding. Or maybe a child is born. That's just the way life is. Life is constantly changing and we go from one season to the next. You can continue to read all of that if you want to. I'm going to move on. But a constantly changing world makes it necessary for companies to be constantly changing. A changing world changes the opportunities that our children have. For the most part, our children have opportunities that we never had. You know, it's kind of sad, but my children have traveled more than I have. If it wouldn't be for my desire to learn and to grow and the pull for towards the end times to know what's happening in Israel, I would have never traveled to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. I really don't have any desire to, to really go uh, too many other places in the world. I don't desire to go to China or, or the Philippines or any of those places. I keep, continue to want to go back to Israel. But what's interesting is my children have traveled more than me. And it's amazing what their children will do if Jesus Christ doesn't return. But a changing world means that changes are going to occur. The seasons in our life are going to occur. Some of you, your children are small. And you can't even imagine your children leaving you. But let me tell you something. There'll come a time when you'll want them to leave. I am a firm believer that the reason God created teenagers was to prepare parents for when children would leave and they say, Go! Now, we weren't that way. You know, Micah, when she left and went away to college for a month, every time Lisa walked down the hallway, she'd stop at her bedroom and she would start crying. Now, see, for me, nothing had really changed. I was still paying for everything. You know, it, it wasn't that way, but for her it was changed. And then when the baby moved out, it was the same thing. You know, Macy's moved, and, and, and Lisa was like that. Now, here's what's kind of interesting. We like being empty nesters. You know, if you saw, well, I won't go into that. It's nice being an empty nester. Some of you go, I don't want my children to leave. You will if they're still 30 and living at home, trust me. But let me just tell you. This world is changing. You need to embrace it because it's just a part of life. The third thing you need to do is force yourself to step out of your comfort zone. That's right. You see, sometimes we resist change because it means that we're going to have to step out of our comfort zone. We're going to have to learn something new. We're going to have to do something that we don't feel comfortable doing. And a good example of this is Moses. When God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt... He balked at the idea. He resisted it. And the reason he resisted it is because it would require him to be able to speak in front of Pharaoh and able to speak in front of large crowds. And Moses had a fear of public speaking. I didn't realize this. But did you know the number one fear in the public is the, is the fear of public speaking? There are literally people that would rather die than speak in public. 
Now, that blows my mind because, you know, I'm a sanguine personality. Let me tell a few jokes. That's the type of person that I am. But Moses wasn't that way. Moses was scared to death of public speaking. And so when God spoke to him and said, I want you to go deliver my children out of Egypt, he balked at the idea. He tried to resist him. And he almost let that fear keep him from fulfilling the divine purpose that God had for his life. He almost, he almost allowed that fear to keep him from doing that divine purpose that God had for him. Turn to Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. How many of you ever pleaded with the Lord? Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. And my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, saying, Lord, please send anyone else but me. That's what Moses was saying. Now, everyone has a comfort zone. Things we're comfortable doing, people we're comfortable being around. Some of you have this sanguine personality. And boy, you're outgoing, you're gregarious, you're funny, you're the life of the party. But it's only around certain people you're comfortable with. You get you out of that uh, a group of people and all of a sudden you're quiet, you're timid. You're not that way at all. Why? Because it's not just us being comfortable with doing things. It can also be our environment. That's what I mean by a comfort zone. But sometimes change means that we have to step out of our comfort zone. And it's human nature to resist just as Moses did. So in those situations, what do we do? Well, again, it all goes back to trusting God. We've got to trust that God is going to enable us to do what he's called us to do. To do what he's wanting us to do. And then we have to step out. You know, it's kind of interesting. God was like a parent to Moses. Go do it. Now, eventually he gives in because he realized he's not going unless I do something else. And so we allowed Aaron to be the spokesperson. But you need to understand something. That wasn't God's original plan. It was supposed to be Moses and Moses alone. And he was supposed to trust God. You see, God knows what we can do and what we can't do. And God will never ask us to do what he knows we're not capable of doing. Look back at verse number 11. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? So what he was actually saying is, I've made you Moses. I know everything about you. I created the tongue. I created your brain. Don't you understand that I can pour the anointing upon you? And when you get up to speak, you'll be able to do it. Now, it's very interesting. But when Moses became angry, he could do it. When he forgot about the situation, Moses could go in front of Pharaoh. He could get in front of all of Israel. And he could begin to speak. When the anointing came upon him. But the problem was he did not trust that God could do that in the beginning. And so God had to push him out. 
You see, that's how most of us are because change requires us stepping out of our comfort zone and so someone has to push us to do it. We won't take that promotion because it means doing something new and I'm not, I'm not sure I can do it. What if I take that job and I can't do it? And God's trying to push us into it. Your employer's trying to push you into it. And it's like, I just can't do it. Now, Drew doesn't know that I'm going to use him as an example. This is use Drew example. When I got ready to find someone who could do all of this technology, I told you the story about Drew stepping in, and he took that responsibility. He never complained. He went out and he bought, he, uh, bought all the cable that we needed. He bought all the equipment we needed. He put it all together. He trained everyone on how to use it. And, and what's interesting is I went to Drew, and I said, Drew, I need someone to be over this department. It even pays more money. Would you like... To be the person that's over the creative arts director is what we call it, but over the, over the technology ministry. And it was very scary for Drew because it was something new. And it meant that he had to get out of his comfort zone. So he went and talked it over with Sue, and he came back and said, Boy, I'm not sure I want to do that. And I said, Drew, let me just ask you one question. Are you still passionate about youth? Because if you're passionate about youth, then you need to stay and be our youth minister. If you're not passionate about youth, you need to step out of your comfort zone and you need to take this job. I'd already knew what he was supposed to do. But it took him a long time. He came back and said, you're right, Pastor. I used to be passionate about these teenagers and youth and I'm not anymore. And I know God wants me in the ministry. He said, I'll take that job. But he told me it's very, very scary because he'd never done anything like that that and so many of you turn down promotions you won't take out you won't step out and take a risk but the reason why is you're comfortable with this much you're comfortable doing these things and comfortable about being around these type of people the problem is you're never going to fulfill the divine purpose that God has for your life if you're afraid to step out of your comfort zone now listen to me people who are willing to do these three things number one Recognize why they're resisting change. They're resisting change because they fear. They have a lack of faith in God. Number two, they embrace change as a part of life. Number three, they force themselves to step out of the comfort zone in order to be obedient to God. People who are willing to do those three things are great employees. And they contribute to a healthy work environment. And God is going to be able to bless them mightily. He's going to be able to fulfill the plans that he, has, that he has made for their life. But those who are not willing to do those three things are going to continue to fight change. They're going to end up fighting against God. And they're the ones that are contributing to a hostile work environment. Let me just give you some personal examples because... I can teach all of this, but if you don't apply it to your life, it's really not that good. I'm a firm believer that everything that I teach, you should be able to go home and you should be able to apply it to your life. If you're working at a job that you go to work by 8 o'clock and you're home by 5, if the boss comes in and says, you know, things are changing, we need to make sure that someone is here at least from 5 to 6. Because people get off work, they need to be able to come here before they go home. So I need you to change working from 8 to 5 to 9 to 6. If you're the type of person that just resists that, you throw a fit, you have a bad attitude, I want you to understand something. You're working against God. You've got the wrong attitude. 
You've got the wrong perspective on work. You think you're doing your boss a favor. You're not. Randall Miller told me a story. He told me the story about a drill sergeant in the Marines. He did something nice for one of the privates, and the privates looked and said, thank you, sir. He said, don't thank me. The United States Marines thanks me twice a month. On the 1st and the 15th. Now, you need to understand something. You can either have a bad attitude and work against God, or you can have the right attitude and the right perspective. And when you have the right attitude and the right perspective, then God will bless you. When your boss comes and says, we're going to change the way we're doing things, and in the back of your mind, because people are negative by nature, we're cynical by nature, and you think, great, we've been changing things ever since I've been here, and they've never stuck with anything. They're not going to stick with this. So you've got a bad attitude in your mind, well, I'm not going to learn it because we're going to change it and do it different anyway in about six more months. I want you to understand something. You're working against God. You're working against God's will for your life. People, God has middle knowledge. He knows the future. He knows what changes are coming. He knows how those changes are going to affect you. And the thing that he's called you to do is to work unto him as unto the Lord. You are to serve in such a capacity that your employers look at you and say, something is different about you. And when you do that, God can fulfill his plan that he has for your life. But as long as you have this negative attitude, as long as you have this negative perspective, God cannot fulfill the plans that he has for you. I tell you, something is wrong with the church today when people come in and they have crappy lives. But most of the time, it's not because they have a crappy life. I told you, God sees things from a global perspective. There are people in China. There are people in India. There are people in Africa. There are people in South America that would love to have the life that you have. But you think you have a crappy life. They would love to have your life. The problem is not your life. The problem is your attitude and your perspective. Change your attitude, change your perspective, and watch the miracles that God will do in your life. It is amazing. Sometimes, especially when things get tough, Lisa and I will sit down and we'll just start counting all of the great things that God has done in our life. All of the neat things that he has done and the blessings we have right now. And we just start listing them all and we realize... How horrible it is to have a negative attitude and a negative perception. You're alive and God loves you. That ought to change your attitude right there.